You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And you know, guys, we get a chance to talk to some really interesting people in the course of this show, exploring all different aspects of the world of sports and I think it's fair to say we are fascinated by this nexus of athletes and business and ownership and everything that's going on. We literally have the perfect person uh, to talk to us about that. That is Aaron Aflalo. He is an NBA veteran. He played in the league for 11 years, starting out at your, and by your I mean Michael Barr's, Detroit Pistons, <laughs> and then uh, having a storied career throughout. Now he is looking to be an owner in the NBA. He was involved in the process that just is culminating with the Minnesota Timberwolves. That franchise is going to Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lurie. But he's got some stories to tell us about that process, his ambitions, and so much more. Aaron, really, really good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. No, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Good morning. So tell us about this. You and I have, have gotten a chance to, to chat a little bit, and, and I'm just fascinated with your vision in, in all of this. It, tell us about the transition. We can talk a little bit. I know Michael Barr is going to ask you about getting drafted by the Pistons. I'm going to leave that to him. But I want to <laughs> like fast forward a little bit to the present and your current ambition because you are thinking about your post-playing life I dare say, in in a much more ambitious way than, than many do. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's definitely audacious. I mean, um, it's 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 an exciting process, an exciting time because of the pandemic. I found myself with a lot of downtime, but a lot of relationships and in certain business areas that allowed me to hopefully take advantage of an opportunity like this when it when it came about. So, um, no, it's, it's been exciting. Um, I was very thankful to Mr. Taylor for giving me the opportunity and, uh, you know, looking for the next one. And referring, of course, to uh, Glenn Taylor, the, the current owner of the of the Timberwolves. So tell us, but before we get even deeper into it, why that, you know, why this was the one that, that you sort of zeroed in on? Because you really put everything on hold to, to sort of go after this franchise, and you made two runs at it, right? Yeah, I mean, it was, for me, it was almost nonstop. I mean, from a media perspective, it may have seemed like two runs, but, you know, I was after it every single day of my life for, for about 10 straight months. Mm. And uh, some of the s- simplistic answers behind, you know, my initial interest uh, was just being familiar with some of the people there. I, I had a history in, um, uh, with the Pistons, and I'm pretty sure I get asked about that, but with Flip Saunders <laughs> being my rookie my rookie head coach, uh, that was the start of some ties to the city and some of the people that I knew within the, within the organization. Uh, and it really lit a fire for me to see if I could uh, put together a nice package. So, Aaron. Old buddy, old pal, old chump. <laughs> when you came into the league, uh, drafted by the Pistons, uh, I believe, am I right? You played at the old palace, and oh yeah, and it, there were a lot of rocking times there. And then uh, it was the end of the run for the palace. What is it like when? A team moves from one venue to another. Now, fortunately, it stayed in the Detroit area, but what is it like for a team to move from one venue to another? Well, initially playing in the Palace is definitely nostalgic. I mean, there's so much history there, and coming into the to the Joe Dumars regime, it was, uh, I mean, it was really a dream come true uh, playing in the Palace. 
Um, I didn't get to experience playing in, in the New Seasons Arena too much. That was towards the tail end of my career. But I definitely enjoyed those those early days, just going to the gym and uh, you know being a rookie and, and being a part of history in that way. See, I'm old as dirt. I remember when the Pistons <laughs> played at the old Silver Dome and before that at Kobo. Yeah. And so I, I, I go way back to the Dave Bing era. So don't mind me. I'm just a happy Pistons fan. <laughs> no, I used to drive by the Citadel all the time and, uh, you know, it's sort of the, the site. So, yeah, I'm very, very familiar with the city. This is Mike Lynch up in Boston. I I, I don't like to rub in, you know, championship banners on these. My, my two <laughs> Oh, <co-hosts>. God. <laughs> <laughs> right. let, let me – I'm interested in this whole process that you went through for about 10 months or so. What did you learn from this? What opened your eyes and what wowed you from uh, trying to trying to acquire the Timberwolves? Yeah, I mean, sheesh, where do I start? You know, when you're trying to uh, to acquire a team, I mean, it's really an experience-based situation. You can read a lot of books. You can hear a lot of stories. But if you're not into big business uh, for a lengthy period of time in your life, uh, you've got a lot to learn in terms of, uh, you know, how to deal with people, how to make these uh, very, very large financial relationships, uh, the true essence of what it takes to put together a, a complex deal like this. So I got a real crash course of uh, managing with people and dealing with sensitive information and uh, really building strong relationships to give, you know, a, a, an owner confidence in the future that uh, you can uh, you can be a closer in such a transaction like this. Um, it's definitely not built for the for the for the weak-hearted, um, a lot of ups and downs and a lot of uh, no's, um, a lot of twists and turns. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I try to keep it very vague so that I don't have to, you know, divulge too much details. But, no, it was it was a very, very uh, tough process. And so, Aaron, how do you put together the, the money for, for something like this? I mean, obviously – you were very successful as a player, but, you know, these are franchises that are now kind of unbelievably going for, you know, a billion, a billion, five, two billion dollars. Like, you know, access to that sort of capital is not something that, that most people have. This is an area that I know you've been developing over the course of your post-playing career. How do you break into the world of essentially even bigger money? Well, the first thing you have to have is something desirable. Right. You know, uh, you can't even begin to have these conversations um, from a from a new relationship unless you've got a a particular desired asset. And uh, as we all know, the NBA is a is a as a platform that we all love and a game that we all love. And and it's continuing to grow. And so is the business. Um, So my resume as a former player uh, with ambitions to try to take advantage of a situation um, in which a team could be available uh, did give me a distinct advantage and, and made things easier for me to build these relationships. Um, but yeah, to get to get committed capital partners at six hundred million and three hundred million and you know four hundred million. I mean these these are astronomical numbers, and and you're dealing with uh, a very seasoned business people uh, where they have to trust you. They have to know that you know what you're doing, um, and then they have to be as passionate about the game as you are. So. I was very fortunate to get all of those things combined at this at this point in time, and those same folks, uh, for the most part, are still committed to a, to an NBA platform with me at some point. So uh, it's only going to get better for me uh, from here. Kind of leads into the next question I was going to ask because you played in the game, 
Is it easier to deal with the general manager of the team and the players of the team when, as an owner, you are also you are out there on the court? Is it easier? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. That was one of the distinct advantages I felt I had in terms of uh, uh, getting capital committed for something like this in which I was kind of leading the show is, uh, that experience that you that you talk about uh, as a player, I kind of played a whole multitude of roles from my days in Detroit as a defensive guy uh, to more of a three and D guy in Denver, and then I had some leading scorer, uh, some prominent uh, roles in Orlando. Uh, so I really experienced what each of these players are going through on the court, what some of their desires are uh, financially and accolade wise, and then also what they're going through off the court. Um, in terms of you know how they're dealing with family or money or, or or problems that arise that most people don't know about, and um, so from an ownership perspective, knowing your business and knowing the guys that you're trying to motivate uh, is a very distinct advantage I have from life experience. So I'm looking forward to adding that value uh, to a franchise one day. Aaron, when when you're uh, cultivating relationships with uh, investors for an NBA team, what what do you sell yourself as? Uh, what is your value to to a group like that? Uh, how do you, how do you pitch yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the entry point. You know, it's 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 the the calming entry point that they're they're getting into business with a guy that, like like I just explained, has lived the life uh, that knows the business that has the relationships that he can lean on. Uh, in areas that I'm not familiar with. Um, just because I played the game doesn't mean I know everything about the business and the cap structure and the organization. Uh, but I've built some really, really healthy relationships over 25 years and uh, felt I could put something really good together. So uh, for the folks that are putting this type of money, um, they got to trust you. They got to believe in you. They have to share your vision, but they have to know that there's other good people behind you. Uh, and I'm fortunate to have that as well. Aaron, I want to talk about something that you know may be a little bit sensitive, but I think is is important to to put out on the table, which is, you know, we have seen a lot uh, of conversation over this last year about roles and responsibilities and power, both executive and and ownership. There is still a dearth of people of color who own teams, even in the very progressive NBA. How relatively progressive, I guess I should say, versus other professional (laughs) leagues. How do you see that? How does that start to change? How much of that is part of the conversation that ultimately it's going to be important for not just former players, but black men and women to to have ownership positions and not just executive positions? Yeah, I mean, the social climate is obviously uh, speaking to that at this moment around the world. You know, I think it's very vital. I mean, from an economic perspective, uh, if you don't see inclusion, um, you know, that that could lead to to revenue issues because you can get, you know, protests and you don't get enough of the type of uh, support uh, from sponsorships that, you know, when people start feeling inequality, um, you know, it can hamper your ability to conduct business. So I think it's really an advantage to be inclusive of all people. I mean, we have a vast world um we have a vast interest in the game i know the nba is constantly trying to grow globally uh so you want to be inclusive of of all people but in particular uh i would say african-americans just because of the 
uh, amount of sweat equity that we've put into building the game. Um, it's the current, you know, from my understanding, we've got the highest uh, ratio of players in the league. Um, so you want you want your ownership to be reflective of that. And, um, you know, from, from our economic standing, it's been hard, uh, other than Michael Jordan, you know, it's been hard to get a person of this high net worth or the ability to uh, put a group together. Uh, so, I, yeah, I've been I've been looking forward to taking that challenge on and, and hopefully breaking some barriers um, at this time, uh, which I feel is, is, is good. I know you've been asked this many times, but in our COVID world and when you were starting to think about trying to buy and be a part of this team as a co-owner, uh, did you ever stop to think, oh, my goodness, COVID hit, what in the world am I doing? Can I pull this off? Um. You know, honestly, it was a little bit of the reverse. Um, because of the COVID world, um, there was a lot of teams that were in a little bit of financial stress, just like everybody else in the world. And uh, some of that capital has circulated to some wealthy individuals and some, some big businesses. So uh, believe it or not, the COVID world actually opened up more opportunity. Um, so, you know, it kind of it kind of was a you know bad thing for, for people, of course, but uh, it did kind of reset the table a little bit in terms of having a chance in NBA ownership uh, because of some of the financial needs of these owners. Aaron, in, in addition to your goal of being an NBA owner, what other businesses, what other sectors really attract you as an investor? Um, you know, it, it pinged off a little bit of, of the NBA ownership platform, but, um, you know, real estate and, and tech and gaming, um, Right before I saw the the NBA opportunity available to me, uh, I was actually working in the hospitality business, um, trying to develop a brand of hotels in which uh, celebrated sports and African American culture. Um, you know, I live in Vegas uh, for a portion of the year, and I look up and down the strip, and we've got you know Asian themed stuff and European themed, and uh, for a highly touristic place. Um, you never really had this concentrated place of sports and that celebrated African-American culture. So I had garnered a lot of interest from, from people who, who, who shared that vision. And then, um, you know, if I was able to su- successfully get to a NBA platform, it only would enhance that vision. So my main thing was being in the hospitality space, uh, looking for a real estate in which I could uh, bring some capital there and, and, and share this vision and, and a lot of high touristic places. You know, it, it's interesting, Aaron, as, as I've come to learn a little bit more about you, you know, your sort of entrepreneurial zest and ambition, you know, actually preceded your time um, in the NBA. I mean, you had a certain hustle about you, like back to when you were in high school. I mean, this is to some extent has been documented, you know, not just journalistically, but lyrically as well. Um, many people listening, you know, may not know you, you have a longtime friendship with Kendrick Lamar, um, who, who name checked you in a song. But, you know, part of, I think, what he was calling you out for, and keep me honest here, was your ambition, you know, not just on the court, but off. Tell us about sort of growing up in Compton and sort of how that shaped you as, as a business person and not just a player. Yeah, well, it's a lot different than buying an NBA team, but yeah, right. I started out selling, don- <laughs> selling donuts, right? And uh, selling <laughs> CDs. But yeah, you're, the entrepreneur mindset was there. I mean, I would get up six in the morning and had to earn the trust of the kids the day before, give them, give me a dollar so I can sell them a 60 cents donut. And, uh, you know, I just love the math of it, and I love the hustle. Um, and I, and I love dealing with my peers. 
And I think that's reflective of how, you know, I'm trying to operate, obviously, in a much bigger space. But, yeah, I've been like this since I was a little kid. You know, coming from Compton, I mean, you, you got to figure it out. You know, I don't want to give the uh, the horror story about the city because it's, it's pretty, you know, globally known that it's a tough place to grow up. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm proud that I navigated it. Um, you know, I did well in basketball. I did well in business. And um, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And, I, I, you know, I, I'm always thankful to Kendrick for recognizing that even though we weren't, like, best of friends, I'm a couple of years older than him, but we did go to school. And just to know that there was somebody like that watching, uh, you just never know. You never know who's watching your success, even at the high school level, and, and how it can inspire them. And obviously he's gone on to be an amazing person. He's done okay for himself in his own right. I feel like, he, you know, he's, he's done all right. <laughs> right. He's done all right. <laughs> yeah, he's, that he's Pulitzer Prize feels pretty good. Him. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely got some kids watching him now. And, you know, if you can inspire one, he's probably inspiring millions. So, uh, you know, I'm still proud of that. Jason had mentioned preceding your NBA career, and I remember this vividly when you're playing in the NCAA tournament. And this happened in the uh, 2006 NCAA tournament. You advanced to the national title game with UCLA. And mm-hmm. it, it, what happened was you were playing Gonzaga, and yeah. you won, and right after you won, you saw the uh, Gonzaga, uh, Adam Morrison, and he was on the floor in tears. And, and as great sportsmanship, you went over to him, and you know you tried to console him. And I remember that vividly. And I always thought, if you can expand more on that, what that tells kids about sportsmanship and sports in general. Yeah, and it was a... Um... It was an instinctual thing. Um, you know, Adam that year was a highly touted player, um, and he was the best in the game for, the, for that season. And we had this miraculous comeback, and uh, in the midst of celebration, yeah, I seen the guys, you know, uh, distraught on the floor. And, yeah, I mean, you, you always want to see people happy. You know, all I could think at that time was that, man, he's, he's a competitor. He brought the best out of our team. He brought the best out of me. And at that point, you know, I thought he was on his way to a prominent NBA career. So, um, you know, it just it was just instinctual for me to stop and help, um, you know, in the midst of celebration. Uh, and that, and that, that is sportsmanship. That's, that's my character. That's how I was raised to be, to be a, a fighter, uh, but to always be caring to others. And, um, you know, it just came out at that moment. Aaron, there's one word you've used three times in uh, giving answers to our questions, and that word is, is trust. So when you're developing financial relationships with potential investors, how do you build that trust with them? Yeah, it's hard. Um, yeah, it's really hard to build trust. Um, you know, the business world isn't, isn't all, always sunshine and rainbows, right? You, you can go through some tough circumstances, some, some untrustworthy people. Um, and you just got to navigate it. You have to learn through experience, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I wish I could say that um, there's something to say or something to do. Uh, but in all honesty, you just have to be a genuine person, uh, a, a genuine business uh, that you have good intent with, and hope that you share that with the right people. Um, it's really hard to navigate that the, the money world without running into some malicious people sometimes. But... Um, you know, just be trustworthy yourself, uh, develop a good product, share a good product for somebody to invest in, and, and hopefully um, you guys kick it off. Uh, that kind of would be my advice. 
So, Aaron, I, I want to dig a little bit more, if we can, into, you know, why you want to own a team, candidly. I mean, it obviously is, is, a, is a good investment um, mm-hmm. by all accounts. I mean, we've seen the trades just go up and up and up, especially across the NBA and, and across all of pro sports. And yet, I, I want to push you on that a little bit to understand what it is about owning a franchise that appeals to you you know, from a business perspective, from a social perspective, from from a leadership perspective, like, you know, what what's the case that you would make that, that this is a good business for you? Yeah, I mean, it all starts with what you're passionate about. Um, you know, ownership is the, the top level of the game in terms of business, but it's also what I gave my whole life to and I'm very passionate about. I've been playing basketball since I was two years old, so... You know, from a personal standpoint, if you're ever going to aspire to do something, you probably, you know, want to do it with something that you love and can give your life to. Um, But I just saw myself adding a lot of value, not to any particular team or my own investment group, uh, but to the league. Um, You know, hitting some of their initiatives and trying to diversify ownership. Um, you know, building these global relationships, you know, loving the game so much that you want to help the entire league expand itself. Um, uh, I mean, being introduced into the gaming world and the tech world and the e-gaming world and being somebody who's only 35 years old, having that relatability and, and to be a liaison between the players and the ownership and at a young age. Um, I just saw myself being able to take advantage of of the social times, my age, my passion, and uh, you know being of value. Um, so you know it was pretty simple for me. Um, you know it's almost one of those questions like why not? You know, right. Uh, right. But but yeah, I'm I'm inspired. I'm inspired, and going through the, the Timberwolves process has only made me uh, more hungry for the next opportunity and how I express myself and my togetherness with my business package and all that I feel like I can bring to the league. You alluded to something that you and I talked about a little bit, and I'm hoping you can expand on it, which is, and again, I say this with a huge amount of respect for someone who you know, played at the highest level of this game, but you don't have, and I think this is part of your thesis too, if, if you will indulge me, that you don't have the name recognition of Jordan or LeBron or Magic, and it feels like that's part of what is motivating you here, too, is that there are, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of former players, you know, who who might, you know, look to this sort of example in their own, you know, current or, or post-playing days. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's a very healthy point that um, I'm also very proud of that I feel could be inspiration, not just to former athletes in their own uh, field, but into business in general, uh, that you don't necessarily have to be the anointed one or the one that has the easiest path that, you know, it is still accomplishable. Um, you know, if you work hard and you take your work and like mentality and you build relationships over time. And, and you add value. So, no, that's a, that's a great point, and that's also something I'm, I'm very proud of, uh, you know, that I wasn't a superstar or a perennial all-star. Uh, but I had the respect. I had the respect amongst people in business and, and in the, at the executive level and hopefully the ownership level uh, to the point where they still see value in what I bring. 
Um, so that, that that's very exciting for me and further motivating. You hit the magic phrase that I heard: esports. Are you surprised how esports has exploded <laughs> in this world? Even even my sixteen year old son, he was on the varsity esports team. I've said this story many times, and I mean he is into it, and and it's and I find myself rooting on the couch watching him. That excitement, I I never thought that would happen, but I'm seeing esports explode. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, you know, we, we all know the Michael Jordan story about how he was hurt. He got cut from the varsity team right now. These kids are getting cut from their elect- electronic. <laughs> so, I, 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 you know, my competitive spirit is a little different. I never was a gamer. Um, but, man, boy, is it big business. And uh, there's a lot of kids, you know, that can sit on their couch and be competitive than it is to make the NBA right and go out there and put in, you know, sweat equity, so to speak. So, uh, but it's it's no disrespect towards the gamers. I mean, it's it's a passion. It's huge business. Um, it's relatable to to far more many people and kids as they get introduced to the game of basketball. This is their way to feel competitive and be involved, um, or anything other than you know just being a fan. Uh, so I, I definitely learned a lot about that sector um, of of the NBA brand uh, as it, it tries to expand globally because these kids are now playing against each other, you know, overseas. Um, So it's bringing a lot of connectivity and a lot of love and a lot of passion. And, uh, you know, it's definitely something that you can capitalize off of. Aaron, uh, the sale of NBA franchises, it doesn't happen every other week or every other month. It could be quite a while before another one becomes available. In the meantime, what's uh, what's next for you? Well, one is staying ready. One is just staying ready. Hopefully, um, you know, there's some awareness out there that I'm introduced to this, and maybe it's not a public situation, but I'm definitely staying ready to see if I could add value to another team or or see if there's another ownership opportunity. Uh, But I'll I'll go back to to what I was doing when I first started. Um, You know, I was was into this hospitality situation, and uh, I still have all those relationships uh, in, in hospitality and gaming. Uh, and I've got some other some other fresh ideas I want to keep to myself. Um, but, uh, you know, just try to be an entrepreneur at the highest level and, and stay passionate about what I do, uh, but also staying ready, staying ready for the next opportunity. All right, Aaron, before we let you go, we're talking to you, you know, just as the play-in is, is starting, uh, the postseason for the NBA. Who do you like here? Like, what, what, what? How are how are the playoffs going to play out? Uh, given we've got this new format, uh, it's a somewhat normal year. Certainly more normal than you know playing in a bubble in Orlando. What do you see? What do you see playing out here? Boy, um, obviously, I know the Lakers and the Warriors is probably the the most exciting one. Um, I still see both of those teams getting into the playoffs, right yeah. at the lower seeds. Um, but it will be fun to watch them match up to, to, to vie for seeding. Um, I'm excited about this year's playoffs. I mean, this element of the, of the uh, play-in uh, has really added something, a lot of value, a lot of excitement. So um, I'm not really a fan of any one team in particular. You know, I was a fan of the Timberwolves for about 10 months. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, the Pistons aren't there. <laughs> so. <laughs> trying to figure out who I can identify with the most at this point, but I'm just excited to watch the overall platform, and uh, this is going to be another tough championship for somebody, Uh, so I want to see who's, I'm excited to see who prevails. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, I mean, I'm sort of going off on a tangent here, but I mean, interesting to see, and and, uh, other guys can weigh in here too, but, you know, I feel like this is the, in many ways, 
belatedly the manifestation of that crazy summer we saw two years ago with all the movement. You know, I mean, now you have the net. The East is much is much different than it was when you think about the Sixers and the process and the Nets, obviously, mm-hmm. and everything um, that they've done. You know, the Bucks felt like a foregone conclusion there um, for a couple of years, but. But now, you know, what's coming out of the East, you know, I'm from Atlanta, you know, seeing what the Hawks have been able to put together. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a very different vibe for, for lots of different reasons, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, the competitiveness is by far seems like it's at a – it's been equalized a little bit. Yeah. That's creating more and more excited. I mean, I, you know, I'm actually looking forward to it. You know, there doesn't seem to be anybody that's clear cut that that's just a runaway. Even though the Nets and the Lakers and certain people have talent, you know, with the injuries and everything going on, I mean, this is going to be one exciting playoff. So uh, I'll be sitting back watching and uh, trying to enjoy yeah, trying to enjoy, but also, you know, like maybe taking some notes about, oh, if this team came up, you know, maybe this is what I would do uh, there. I, I love the idea of you, you know, kind of long-term scheming to, to own a team someday. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. Great to sort of get inside your head candidly a little bit, understand this process, understand, uh, you know, what a guy like you is thinking about, you know, a young guy clearly with a lot of, ambition and as you say a little bit of audacity maybe a little bit more than a little audacity uh to do this so it's really great and we're looking forward to keeping in touch with you thank you no thank you guys i appreciate you having me thank you all right aaron aflalo is an 11 year nba veteran and an aspiring nba owner clearly part of the process there uh that looks like it will result in alex rodriguez and mark laurie owning the minnesota timberwolves but we're seeing some trades come on when it comes to NBA teams and other uh, pro teams. So uh, looking forward to see what happens next. Aaron Aflalo! That's right. I just did it. I wanted to be at the old palace. There, this is the Bloomberg <laughs> Business of Sports podcast. I'm Mike LeVar. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCBB. Celtic. <laughs> <Excuse me>. Celtic. <laughs> And I'm Jason Kelly at Jason Kelly News. We're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday with you, exploring the world of money and sports. Something's wrong with my headset. Uh, you're listening to Bloomberg <laughs> Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts.